Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MyFit Podcast, hosted by fitness coach, business owner, and CrossFit Games athlete, DJ Hillier. Physical fitness and podcasting are two of his life passions, and his goal is to train, educate, and inspire those who want to improve their general health. These podcasts are designed to help everyone, from the occasional gym member trying to improve their overall wellness, to the fitness enthusiast. The episodes capture a wide spectrum of topics, including training, coaching, nutrition, entrepreneurship, relationships, and mindset. Follow the show on Instagram at the MyFit Podcast and subscribe to his newsletter at djhillier.com. So let's get to it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is DJ Hillier, and you are listening to episode 155 of the MyFit Podcast. This week on the show, I bring back my mentor, Sam Smith. Sam is a remote fitness coach that specializes in taking athletes further than they've ever been before while using an individualized training approach. Sam is a wealth of knowledge and is somebody that I personally continue to lean on for guidance in my own career. I've had Sam on the show twice before, once to go through some wisdom like we're going to do today. And another one, we talked about the idea of weightlifting in the sport of CrossFit. So if you guys get through this episode, you want to learn more from Sam, dial it back and check out those two episodes. He does a phenomenal job breaking down some of those subjects. Sam is one of my favorite people in the fitness space. He's somebody that uh, has really shaped how I think about training, uh, whether it's program design, coaching, et cetera. And I'm just really thankful for the relationship that we've been able to cultivate over the last couple of years. Today, what I wanted to do is get as much wisdom as I could out of Sam. If you guys know Sam or you follow him on Instagram, he posts uh, quite often um, weekly uh, coaching tips, athlete tips, or just life tips. And I felt like uh, it would be a great idea to dive a little bit deeper. We know that Instagram only provides us with a certain amount of characters on each post. And I figured that Sam might have a little bit more depth to go into on some of those posts. So what I did over the last year, since I last had him on the show is I went through his Instagram and pulled out 12 of my favorite quotes that I wanted to bring to the table today and explore in a deeper dive. So a couple of those quotes were first, quote, it's not your job to fix people. It's your job to show them how to fix themselves. Then be inspired by people embodying patience and commitment to a vision, not just their abs. After that, we talked about don't blame anyone for anything. Instead, own everything. Then we talked about don't judge yourself on the outcome. Judge yourself on the preparedness. Don't focus on PRs. They will take care of themselves. Prescribing macros isn't hard. Getting clients to understand why macros won't solve their problems is hard. Life rarely changes without an increase in responsibility. You can't expect an athlete to peak or give maximal effort unless they are maximally motivated. The difference between mediocre and excellence lies in the small details. Compound interest applies in all areas of life. And as you can see, whether you're a coach, athlete, or somebody who just enjoys fitness, a lot of these life lessons parlay into one another. And Sam does a great job breaking those down. So if you guys enjoy wisdom, learning life lessons, and unlocking your potential, this episode is definitely for you. And I think you'll really enjoy it. And if you do enjoy the show, be sure to share it on your Instagram, tag Sam or myself. We would love to hear what you got out of this episode. Without further ado, let's get to this fun episode, this fun conversation with Sam Smith. Let's go. 
Sam Smith, welcome back to the MyFit Podcast. This is round three. Only a couple people have been on the show three times, so you're in this special field. I just appreciate you taking the time. I always enjoy learning from you, whether it's through your podcast, your social media, and uh, just thanks for taking the time to be on my show today. Thank you. I am honored to be here. Awesome. I've had a lot of good conversations over the last year or two, probably to probably two years now. Uh, I've hired you as my mentor. That's been really fun along the way. And uh, like I said, I just enjoy the wisdom that comes uh, with Sam Smith. I think the first thing too to talk about is Sam, where does where does your wisdom come from? You know, where where do you kind of seek out some of these things that you've learned and you've been able to either give to me or give to your athletes? Where does the wisdom come from? Well, I, I appreciate you seeing me as a beacon of wisdom, I'm very flattered. Uh, I, I just think I, I think, I think about a lot of things. And when you think about a lot of things, it, it, it forces you to dig deeper into those areas and ask questions and, and try to get to the root of what that is or why that, why you're thinking about that and how that works. And, uh, I think as I've just gotten older, I, I'm very curious about meaning and purpose and why we do things and uh, just understanding, you know, being a human mm-hmm. and, and being a coach and being uh, a fiance, being a friend, being a mentor, all these things. You know, I just want to, I want to have a lot of authenticity and understanding with what I'm doing. So I think it, people smell that and and, and people are drawn to it because they, they want to be around people who are more authentic. And I want to be around people who are more authentic. And so it, it feeds both ways. And so I think that's just something that maybe that's a, an attribute of who I am. And through my experiences has made me uh, just more drawn to that aspect of being a person. Um, and, and there are people that I follow and read who have given me a lot of wisdom because uh, not... <laughs> None of the things we're going to talk about today are, are like, I came up with these things. Like, no, I've, I've taken these from other people. Maybe I changed some words, but all of it's just been regurgitated and that I've found really valuable and impactful for me. And so I guess that's probably where I've found wisdom and, and why I, I resonate a lot with that idea. Cool. Yeah. Wisdom is something that gets brought up a lot on the show, whether it's through like, Stoics or people who follow, you know, Stoicism, it's a word that pops up a lot. And it's something that I think we all strive for. And when you, like you said, you smell it, you recognize it when you see it. You're somebody that demonstrates it pretty much every time you post something on Instagram. And that's what we're going to kind of do today. It's kind of a fun, I've never done this the kind of setup before. So it'll be a fun kind of avenue to go down. But basically, what I did was I went through your Instagram for the last year and I kind of went through uh, based on, you know, topics or, or likes or shares. I kind of went through what I thought were the top 12 posts. And you do a lot of cool posting with coach tip, life tips, and, and we'll get into how a lot of those are the same, whether you're a coach or a life or, or, or an athlete, whatever that looks like. A lot of these tips kind of correlate to one another, but we're going to go through 12 of them. Some of them we'll have a conversation on, maybe some of them are better left is just the sentence, but uh, we'll take one at a time here and, and, and go through them. So the first one is uh, most recent for you, top of mind probably. And it's quote, it's not your job to fix people. It's your job to show them how to fix people. And this is a coach's tip. Can you open that up a little bit? How to fix themselves. How to fix themselves. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So something that James Fitzgerald and I've talked a lot about recently 
and, and he's spoken about more publicly is this idea of autonomy, autonomy and fitness, autonomy uh, with people, with respect to physical activity. And it, it's not just for normal people in the world, it's for athletes as well. Athletes need to be mindful. I don't want to say they need to be mindful, but coaches who are guiding athletes need to be mindful that your job isn't to create further dependency from the athlete. Your job is to empower and create more independence in the athlete. You want your athlete to reach a competition and know exactly how to warm up, know exactly how to approach the event, know what to focus on, what to zone out, how to cool down. These are the things you want to be cultivating in the athlete. Why? Because they're going to be taking further responsibility for the outcome, and then they get further responsibility for all the rewards or not the rewards, or if they, if they fall short. And that just builds a lot of power, empowerment in people and, and allows them to realize that they did everything. It was all on them and, and they're stronger and more capable than they think. And so I, I, I think we, or I should say the fitness landscape wants to create dependency and wants people to think it's very complex and they need a coach and they need guidance and to, to create the sense of security for the coach, because it's very threatening if you're trying to tell people that well, I want to make all of you very self-reliant and you don't need me anymore because then what's the coach's job? <laughs> uh, but there's so many people that are broken and, and, and need guidance that you'll always, I want to say you'll always have work, but at least in our lifetime, we're going to have work because there's just so many people that need help. But your, your long-term vision for that client is you trying to move them towards autonomy and, and and cultivate the awareness that they have the tools to improve their life, improve their fitness, improve their competitive journey, et cetera. And so that idea of, I'm not trying to fix people. I'm trying to equip them with the tools such that they realize they get to do the job of improving and moving themselves forward. I think one other piece uh, I would add to that is we have to remember that the coach is the source of information and knowledge that's going to provide value to another person. But that person has to take the knowledge and information and then implement it. It's always going to come back to the person who's receiving the information and knowledge. It's not on the, the giver. It's on the person receiving it to go out and use, do something about it. So that's really what that idea is getting at. Yeah, that's awesome. James and I talked about this on the show a few months back and he was very passionate about the, the autonomy piece and I loved it. I, and I was, I wished I would have asked him and I'll ask you the question, what do you think that looks like? Do you have an example of what that looks like? Is there a conversation? Is it a piece of programming? Like, what is it? I think it sounds great to talk about and the quote is it great, but what, is, what does it look like if you were to kind of put it in your hands? What it would look like, let's make it tangible and say it like from a program perspective. Sure. What it would look like, because I've done this with some clients, because I'm trying to, I'm trying to interweave it into my work, especially with the, the, the small group of clients I have who I feel very confident that I can play with this idea. They'll be on board with it, and it's going to work out in a positive way. So what it kind of looks like is I'll lay out the week, and I'll say, Monday, aerobic intervals, 30 minutes worth. 
the PM snatch ba- or tough snatch complex B clean battery work C posterior chain accessory work something like that and I want and I'll do that for maybe three days and then I want the athlete to design and fill in relative to those ideas that I had. Mm. And what do I do? They do it. And then I review and I look at it and it's perfect. Like that's exactly what you needed to do. Like they're not doing, you know, 20,000 meters of rowing. They're not doing 50 snatches. They're, they know they're more capable and knowledgeable than you might think. Like they understand their body. If, assuming they've been training for an extended mm. period of time and you've equipped them again, you've equipped them with the tools to understand what's going on. And I did this with one of my clients. Clients, athlete, we'll use it interchangeably. Uh, the week before a competition, he had a big competition this past December. And the week before, I, I told him, I said, I want you to design and lay out what you want to do the week leading in. He knew it needed to be a taper in volume and intensity, but he knew there were certain things he needed to be doing. And I laid it out. I said, I want a tough uh, strength piece here. I want a tough Olympic lift. I want a five to seven minute short high turnover piece. I want some intervals here. I want three minutes of a really shitty piece here. And he designed it perfectly, exactly the way it was. And so that was me playing with this idea of how can I give people the responsibility to design their own training and to understand their training. So that's what I'm trying to to cultivate because now people are starting to recognize the the knowledge and and skills that they have. And that's, that's powerful. Mm -hmm. So cool to me. uh, I've run into this many times and it's usually when people go on vacation or, Mm -hmm. and they want to work out and the people that can go on vacation, design their own hotel workout. I'm just like, yes, like you've got it. You've understood what we're working on. You understand how to put together a workout program. Mm -hmm. Um, That's very gratifying for me as a coach. So I think that's kind of along the same lines is that when they leave you, whether they leave you, stop working with you or just go away for uh, a vacation, they can still function and put together a workout program on their own. I think that's awesome. Yes. One thing I would add to that, um, because that was a great example about, about going on the road or going on vacation and them feeling capable that they can design it and that they can take care of it themselves. And that's something you have to communicate with them. You have to be just on in discussion with, you need to, it starts with your very first conversation with them. You need to set the tone that, all right, this is about you learning and understanding. It's not just about me giving you Mm. something because what's going to happen. They're going to always think you're a giver, like just keep giving me, giving me, giving me, well, no, this is, this is a, a relationship where both sides are equally involved. And so that's when you can get to the point where they go on vacation and you say, all right, you have, you know, do four workouts during the week and out to you on what you want to do. And they feel really good about that. There isn't any ambivalence or, oh, coach doesn't care enough about me or why is he not giving that to me? That's, if that's the case, then you know you haven't done the the groundwork up front to be in that position when the time comes. So um, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a great example of moving people towards that direction you want to move them. Awesome. 
Next one here is it's your most liked post in the last year, Sam. So I'm here. I'm just like Mark Zuckerberg bringing you data here on your, on your <laughs> Facebook and Instagram, but it was a great post, man. I shared a lot of people did. It was really popular during, I think it came out during semifinals, but it was quote, when will you be here? The more CrossFit competitions I come to, the more I realize how big the gap is between those who are competing here and those who are not. And within the group of those who are here, the difference between those at the top and the rest of the field is also a big gap. While I might be defeating at first, I'd suggest you meet that with humility. The amount of time and most notably patience required to reach this level can't be ignored. Ask yourself, am I willing to sacrifice in order to stay on this path for the next five years? There's a strong chance that it'll take you years, if not half a decade to reach this level and or the highest level. And maybe even if you might not make it at all, the athletes you've been watching this past weekend have exercised more patience than anyone else. No pun intended. Enough patience to fulfill the time commitment needed in order to make it a reality. My favorite part, be inspired by people embodying patience and commitment to a vision, not just their abs. This is awesome. There's so much to unpack here. Uh, go ahead. I almost feel like we should just leave it that the way it is. <laughs> you kind of can. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, no, I, that was after the first semifinal I went to and I had an athlete, Nicole Soto, and it was her first time competing as an individual in her entire career. And this was after a, like a four year break from competing. And we had a great time. She had a great time, so much learning. And me being her coach and seeing her training, building into the semifinals and seeing the results. And I also had other athletes who were semifinals uh, athletes and some uh, games athletes. And just seeing where she stacked up in certain uh, uh, workouts I would design or tests I would give her. I knew how fit she was. I knew how capable she was. And I think she came 22nd or 23rd at the semifinal. And it was just so great seeing the gap between how good she is compared to so many people. I mean, she came top, what, 80 in the quarterfinals in all of North America. And then just seeing how good the top 10 girls were. And even inside of that, the top five girls. I mean, it's just mind-blowing, the gap with all the different levels in, in CrossFit, in the sport of CrossFit. And so it was just very, it, it allowed me to pause and just remember that this is a, a very demanding sport with anything, anything that requires you to reach a pinnacle. It, there's such an investment in time and energy and resources and patience. I think patience was just this continual word I always come to in this sport because it's, it's, it's at odds with CrossFit because CrossFit, everybody attaches intensity and speed and, and, and pushing yourself and working out fast and, and patience is so opposite of that. And that's what it, it almost makes me giggle a little because you have to meet all of that intensity and speed with patience in order for you to really get what you want, which is this peak in performance or, or physical potential. And so I just, uh, those were the thoughts that came to my mind reflecting on what I'd noticed and, and hoping that some people were able to pause also and say, yeah, you know what? I need to, I need to recognize the patience and consistency all these athletes have shown. And I need to maybe do some self-reflection and see, am I embodying that as well in my own practice and my own journey? And if I'm not, how can I add more to it? How can I add more patience and consistency? Because that's where you're going to get the, the outcomes that you would truly desire. 
point about the part, Sam, when you said, well, it might, while it might be defeating at first, I suggest you meet that with humility. It's a, it's a big, big, bold sentence. What does that mean for you? Defeating at first because there's a strong chance you won't achieve that goal for multiple reasons. And you, there's a strong chance you won't commit the time that the goal requires. The reality is nowadays, people are less inclined to putting in a lot of time into something, one specific thing. Our technology and just the way we operate, it's so much easier for us to bounce from multiple things. You see people changing jobs really quickly, the gig economy, do some of this, do some of that. It's just, it's, we're inundated with speed and turnover and worthy tasks or worthy journeys in life require a lot of time and a lot of patience. And I think people are at odds with that because part of them doesn't want to do that. They want to get something quick. They, they want, you know, the whole 30 challenge. They want abs in 20 days. They want, you know, a 300 pound snatch. And it's just, that's not reality. It's not, it's, it's fantasy. And so I think that's, that's defeating, but it, it should humble you because you need to recognize the, the time investment in anything and recognize the people who have accomplished these things, they, they put in the time and the energy and the sacrifice, and you need to respect that. And when you do respect that and notice it, it allows you to, to almost be more on board with that idea. Like, yeah, you know what? That's, that's what I need. That's what real fulfillment looks like. So I think that's how I, 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 I look at that sentence and what I think about. Um, and hopefully that people, again, it makes people pause and think, yeah, you know what? Maybe I need to, maybe I need to look at this a little differently. Instead of thinking, oh, I want to be like T and I want to win the game. It's like, well, do I want to devote a decade <clears throat> of training to, possi- to possibly qualify for the games, not win the games, you know? Do I really, is that a worthy journey for me? Um, and, and I think Tia, anybody at the top, Matt, they made a commitment with themselves in their support system, their family, that this is what I'm going to do and I'm putting everything into it. And they were patient and consistent and, and, you, and the results showed that. Yeah. One of our favorite quotes, I've, I've heard you say it before too, from the guys over at the Knowledge Project is um, the most overlooked strategy for success is patience. And people just get so, like you said, everything's really fast moving. I like how you compared it to CrossFit where everything's fast. And so they feel like I'm going to get my, I'm going to get my pull up in two weeks. And it's like, man, like you just don't really understand how long some of this stuff takes, especially strength development. You and I've talked about this at length about you just need time. So my question, Sam, to follow up here, and then we can move on is what, what sort of conversations, how does the dialogue look to clients who struggle with patients? Is it straight up just like, this takes time, deal with it? Or how do you kind of cultivate a conversation about people that struggle with patients? That's a great question. I am extremely fortunate that I devoted 15 years of my life to golf and playing golf at the highest level. And, and literally from when I was nine until I was 23, it was all golf all the time. No breaks. That was it. I, of course, I was working out and doing CrossFit stuff, but 99% of my time, my job was, was playing golf, practicing, competing. And what that, in the moment, I didn't realize this, but when I reflect back being a coach, 
that whole process allowed me to see the time commitment and patience needed to get to the elite level, the professional level of, of, of a, a physical endeavor. So when I speak with clients, I'll tell them, I'll say, have you ever done something in your life thus far where you had to commit an extended period of time to see it come to fruition? And some of them have, but usually it's the people who are either later in their 20s, in their 30s or 40s, where it's like, yeah, I did this, or I got my degree, or I got a master's degree, or I was a, uh, you know, uh, I, I did um, semi-pro running or something like that. <clears throat> that creates now context. And I say, all right, you, you remember the amount of time and energy and effort you had to give to that. It's like, yes, like mm. that's going to be the exact same for this. This is no different. Now, when you're working with younger kids, early 20s, maybe teenagers, they haven't had the life experience for that yet. Right. So that's harder. That takes more conversation. It takes more dialogue. It, when, they, when they bump into moments of struggle where they're questioning whether or not they need to do this, and I've had a few conversations that have been amazing with some of my clients who are younger, I have this conversation around, you need to realize you've never done anything in your life for a long period of time to see what can happen. And so right now you're at this border where you want to move on because it's getting hard and you've put in some time, but you haven't invested too much yet where it's regretful if it didn't work mm-hmm. out. Right. And you need to make a decision. You either need to get out and go do something else, or you need to keep your head down, stay patient and know that it's going to take even more time, but it's going to be rewarding. And inevitably like, okay, yep. I get my head back into it and keep focused and eyes on the prize, et cetera. So I, as a start, I love in conversation, reflecting back with people, have you invested time in something? What did that look like? Tell me about it. I want you to revisit what that was like, because you need to remember what's required of something. And then for those who haven't, that's going to take conversation and explaining and exploring what does that look like? And sometimes you can use personal anecdote. Like I'll use my golfing career for people, especially ma- young males. So I know will resonate with that. And they'll, they'll really, okay. Yeah, I, I, I get that. That makes sense. It's inspiring. And with other personality types or, or um, clients, you might have to come at it from a different angle. Uh, but yeah, that's usually the route I'll take. Awesome. Um, our third quote here is, Quote, don't blame anyone for anything. Own everything. Only then will you be opening the door to your own potential. <laughs> so this ties back into the first one about autonomy, in, uh, uh, independence, self-reliance, uh, empowerment. When you, when you take full ownership for everything, you bear all of the responsibility but you also bear all of the success and mm. all of the, the glory, for lack of a better word. And, and it was funny because James and I were talking yesterday about this and we were saying how he was reflecting back on when he was at the YMCA, he came in and there was a lot of disorganization and just, uh, it was a, for lack of a better word, a shit show. And, and he had a plan. He's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to organize everything. We're going to have all these people doing their own training. We're going to get all the coaches to understand how to write designs for everyone. Very structured, organized. And after I don't know, like five, six years, I mean, it was thriving almost too much. He said it was, it was too successful. He actually had to part ways from the company. 
Um, but he was like, but I did all of that. Like I came up with the plan. I did all the work and I, you know, I made that go where it did. And, and I got to own all of that. And if it fell and faltered, then that was me too. But being able to know that it's all on you is very powerful. That's going to put you your back against the wall and you get to make a decision. And so for the athlete, not needing to rely on the coach, not needing to fall back on the coach or blame the coach, that's a point of weakness. You're, you're, you're giving power to the coach that, well, I wasn't prepared enough or we didn't have a good enough strategy or um, my pre-workout protocol wasn't great enough. You're abdicating responsibility and you're weakening yourself. And until you take on full responsibility, you're never going to reach your potential in sport and life and relationships, whatever it is. There's always this element of you need to own up to what is on your plate and then you got to be responsible for that. So that's a large, I mean, that's, I love that one because I, I, I try to, I try to embody that in myself. And then I try to, I try to teach, teach that and, and, and plan it in all my clients, because if you're, if you're a human who really resonates with, I'm taking my, I'm putting my cross on my back and I'm going to carry it. That's just a lot of value you're going to add to your society, your family, your gym, you know, everything. So, um, so that one's, yeah, that one's a, one's a deep one. Yeah. That's super deep. It's a victim mentality. That is the way I kind of mm-hmm. portray it. And people, you know, it when you see it too, you know, you I mean, somebody comes to my mind right away. It's probably yours too. That has a victim mindset and it's mm-hmm. very, um, toxic. You can recognize it and they're quick to just blame somebody else. It could be anything that gets brought up. It couldn't, it doesn't have to be about fitness, but it's just like, oh, the weather's bad or this. And it's just a quick deflect. Uh, it's very toxic, isn't it? hundred percent. You're, you're weakening yourself and you're, you're, you're trying to weaken others to bring them down to where you are. And it's, it's very toxic. Mm-hmm. That's good. Uh, next one. Uh, this is a good one too. They're all good, but this is a good one too. Uh, intensity is overrated consistency is underrated. You see a theme here. There is a theme. <laughs> that, that's good. That means I think you're very aligned with everything you're putting out. Cause all these 12, I mean, it's like 12 rules of life. What's Jordan Peterson, 12 <laughs> rules of life. This is, this is Sam Smith's 12 rules of life. That's going to be the name of the episode. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> Big shoes to fill, man. Oh man. No, don't even, <laughs> don't even suggest. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, this kind of goes back to that idea of what's the narrative that a lot of people attach to CrossFit, which is intense, high intensity, functional movements, cross broad time, modal domains. There's this element of speed and effort and, and intensity, for lack of a better word. But intensity is at odds with consistency. Intensity is fast and it's, it's, it can be rushed. It can be um, unconscious, unaware. And consistency is awareness, it's conscious, it's patient, uh, long-term vision. And with fitness, as you alluded to, especially strength training, there is a consistency element and there's a time element. And CrossFit is no different. If you want to compete in CrossFit, if you want to compete in any sport for that matter, you are going to have to put in a lot of time and a lot of consistency. So getting people to understand and buy into consistency allows you to realize, let me use, let me use a story. This is going to highlight it a lot better. And people love stories. So I have this client, he's, he's 20 and we had our initial call and he's pretty talented. And so I go, I'm, I'm assuming your goal is you want to go to the games. Like, no, it's, it's, 
it's one step more than that. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, I want to win the games. I'm like you want to win the games. And I, and he's like, yeah, I've never had anybody tell me they want to win the games. I'm like, wow. Okay. This guy wants to win the games. So we had a really great discussion around that. And one thing I reminded him was you need to remember that you're going to have to do 5,000 workouts before you're in a position where you could win the game. 5,000. You haven't even done 5,000 probably in your career yet. Think about that. And so every you know, month or so, if he's a little bit stressed or he's you know, got something going on or the session doesn't go well, I just remind him, I go, remember, you have 5,000 more you got to do. And I think when, if people pause to reflect on that, it makes them go, yeah, you know what? I can save a little in the tank because I got 4,999 more to do. And I need to be really patient, consistent with that because anytime I get hurt or I have to take time off, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not on track. I'm not moving towards that 5,000 number. So I like people to get their mind away from this intensity and speed and, and quick results. And I want them to be really bought into con- to consistency away from intensity. Um, and so sometimes I got to use time as a reference point. You know, because as you read in books or whatnot, 10,000 hours to mastery in a task with whether it's music or chess or computer programming or whatnot. I mean, even programming for coaching, 10,000 hours, a lot of hours. Mm-hmm. There's, a, an, there's an inherent time investment in anything to reach this elite level. And you've got to be consistent with it. You can't do, you know, 50 hour a week, one week, and then none the next, and then 50. It doesn't work. There needs to be this repetitive effort and practice to develop. The, intu- the intuition, the, the, the motor skills, the cognitive function, everything. So consistency always needs to be uh, the base that you're trying to build from. I think too, sometimes how I see it, Sam, is that intensity is easy. Consistency is hard. It's easy for mm. somebody to come into my gym and yes. rack out a 10-minute assault bike test and go bonkers and, not be, and then I don't see them for a long time. It's hard for you to come in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and put in a good day's work continuously for years on years. So one is easy. One is hard for clients. I'm just trying to get people that are th- that are listening to this, that struggle mm-hmm. with consistency. Cause I think this is a really big one, whether you're a competitive athlete or GPP or whatever, consistency is difficult for them, but they maybe understand the value or they can kind of glom onto what we're saying. How do you help coach them to be more consistent? It's a really loaded question. I know. Mm. Well, you could ask, or maybe, maybe they're trying to do too much. That's the simplest. Sure. One, one great thing, not one. I mean, there was many things I took from Atomic Habits, James, Clear, James Clear's book. One of them that I really liked was the mastering the art of showing up. It was, that was the basis for all habit development is you got to keep showing up. You have, even if it's, <laughs> you do one pull up. You, you got to maintain the habit until it becomes part of who you are, part of your identity. And so I think for people who are trying to build consistency, they just have to keep showing up. And in order to do that, you might just need to be doing a little bit less, whether it's, you know, I want to read every night. Okay. You don't need to read 30 pages, read five or read two. You just got to keep the habit going. So with training, I think people, because they get so far behind the eight ball, because they've been treating their body poorly and their lifestyles not supporting 
health and fitness. Then they get in like, well, I got to make up so much time. So I got to do a bunch. What does that do? You can't maintain that. It's too much. Your willpower can only take you so far. So I think starting a little bit slower and leaving some in the tank, which I, I was actually in a post uh, a few days ago as well. Always leave some in the tank. I remember reading that. I think in high school, I think Jim Windler posts about that, who was one of like my first heroes in exercise and training. And if you don't know who that is, go Google who he is, 531 he came up with. Uh, and he always said, you always want to leave a little in the tank because you got to come back tomorrow. You got to lift tomorrow. It's that same idea of you got 5,000 more sessions. So you're going to have to leave a little bit because if you always empty the tank, you can't, you can't keep coming back because you're, <laughs> you're running on empty. So that would be my thought is, Maybe do a little bit less and just remember, you got to keep showing up. So what's the bare minimum that's going to allow you to keep showing up so that on the good days, you can have good days and then on the bad days, you can keep it going and you're not going to run into any roadblocks. That's great, man. Yeah. I just posted it from James Clear. We both, we both love his stuff. And it's, it's the quote was, I think you've heard this too. Patience is a competitive advantage in a surprising number of fields. You can find success if you're simply willing to do the reasonable thing longer than most people. I mean, if that's not the definition of consistency, I don't know. I don't know what else is just being able to, sometimes it's just yeah. being able to go longer than other people. It's not being able to do more complexity. It's just, can you hang on longer? 100%. Always look for the people who are still in fields after 10, 15, 20 years. And like, I'll, I'll pause and think about, well, who were, who were the gurus in CrossFit 15 years ago? Mm-hmm. And maybe, you, maybe you, you list five people. It's like, well, how many of those are still involved in CrossFit or in the fitness space? Or, and how many of them are elsewhere? And then whoever's still there, you know that they've been patient, consistent, and then they have value to add. Because they're still in the space. Because time is the ultimate decider of what is a value. Because if it's not a value, time will slowly pull away from it and it'll dwindle into oblivion. So, next one don't judge yourself on the outcome, judge yourself on the preparedness. The outcome isn't in your control, but your preparedness for the task is. Yes. This might have been a might have been a thought from Atomic Habits, I think, or somewhere along those lines, habit formation, uh, behaviors, Out- outcomes. You can never control an outcome. Outcomes of a future outcome <laughs> is something in the future that's uncertain. You can, only, you can only control what you can control to ensure that you are as prepared as possible for the event and possibly the outcome. I was a little convoluted, but stick with me here. Uh, so I like people to, it has to do with anxiety too. You know, when we get anxiety, it's usually because of a future event that hasn't happened yet. So it's not even real. It's a fantasy. And we're starting to create a story around what could happen. And one of the best ways to combat that is you come back to the present and you say, okay, what actions am I executing on? that are going to safeguard against some of the negative outcomes that I think are going to happen in the future. And so let's use an example. So this will be more tangible. Let's say you, you qualified for the semifinals in the CrossFit and you're super anxious that you're going to do really poorly and you know, you're going to get last. Um, 
It's going to be a horrible experience. You're going to be embarrassed, et cetera, et cetera. So then what you do is you go, all right, what, what behaviors do I need to be executing each day on to ensure that I'm as prepared as possible for that future event and safeguarding against getting last or embarrassing myself? Okay, one, I need to be getting enough rest each night so I can recover and adapt mm-hmm. to my training. I need to be getting in good, consistent training. So I need to make sure I'm taking care of my body so I can heal and adapt to what I'm doing. I need to be fueling myself so I can support all the training I'm doing and recover. I need to communicate with my coach, make sure we're on the same wavelength and I am fully aligned with what we're doing. I need to make sure my family and support system is supporting me in this endeavor so I have this extra uh, power and support behind me. So you're going through all all of this. You're outlining it, maybe you're writing it, and that's building confidence and strength that you're preparing yourself as best as possible for the dance that you're going to have to battle in. War would have been better with battle, but that's okay. Um, so that's what, I, that's what I'm trying to get at that, that quote or statement is don't spend energy dwelling and thinking about the outcome. Really come back to this present moment and say, okay, well, what am I doing that's going to lead to this, that's going to put me in the best circumstance possible to have a great outcome in the future? And it can be for anything. It could be for finances. It could be for studying. It could be for your job and your career. And I, of course, just use an example, preparing for competitions. So that's what um, I want people to be mindful of, especially as they're getting closer to something that is frightening and, and uncertain. Last example I'll use. This is another good story. So last year in October, OPEX had a coaching summit. And I, I work for OPEX for their education side, OPEX Fitness. And they had this coaching summit and I was going to present a talk. And I haven't done a talk in front of people since college. I had to take two public speaking classes in college for my degree. And it was literally the most stressful days of my life was the days <laughs> leading up to my talks. Like it was, it was the worst so bad anyway. So I'm like, oh, I got to give this talk. Thankfully I'm giving it on a topic that I'm inspired by. And these coaches are here to learn from me. And so it, it put me in a little bit of a better place, but of course my brain being one that's always thinking, I'm, I'm starting to think about what if I like stutter and I, I mess up or I have to pause and I just, it's bad. And what if it, you know, and then, and then I, I'm never going to speak again in front of coaches. And then how am I going to add value to the fitness landscape? You know, I'm going through this all, all these horrible scenarios. And so it's like, all right, what can I do to ensure that I feel really prepared for that speech? I was like, well, I know from college that I felt as prepared as I could the more I practiced the speech. I wrote it out multiple times. I actually read it and set it into the camera. I was gesturing with my arms and my hands. I, so that's exactly what I did. I wrote out what my speech was. I wrote out what I was going to talk about. I wrote out the stories I wanted to use. And I practiced it probably 20 times. I did it a lot. And when it came the day to speak, I did it a few times in the morning. And I felt good. Like, all right, I got this dialed. And then I went and I gave it. And it went well. I mean, it was tough. And I was anxious and whatnot. But I felt really prepared. And it showed in the performance. The people I asked, they thought it went well, a lot better than I thought it went. Uh, so that was just a great example of me being, you know, fallible, being a human that 
I can't control how that outcome is going to be with the speech, but I know I can really focus on my preparedness and I can control that. And that's my responsibility. And it's going to end up showing on game day. And so that's, uh, that's what I want people to get. So man, great story. I'm just going to leave that there because I don't want to touch it. That was great. Uh, <laughs> the, the, this next one here actually kind of parlays into that a little bit. And it's quote, don't focus on PRs. They will take care of themselves. Yes. Yeah, so, so we spoke about this, I, I think, on our first podcast I think about so. minimums and maximums. Mm-hmm. It's, the same, it's the same idea. So don't focus on maximums, focus on, or focus on minimums to raise maximums. I actually have a, a blog post that's it's pretty long that I put a lot of time into that's coming out soon. It's two parts. One's about, well, the, the topic of it is focus on minimums to raise maximums. And the first part's about what are maximums? And then the second part's what are minimums and how do you raise those? So I'll have some writing that goes more in depth on that because I think it's a very, it's probably one of my my pillars of training, like how I look at training for people. And so the, the, the piece you just mentioned was don't focus on PRs. They'll take care of themselves. Everybody wants PRs, personal records, PBs, personal bests. They want this new max. They want to have, you know, people put a lot of their worth in this number, this arbitrary number. And, and in the grand scheme, if you go look at Olympic weightlifters or powerlifters, you're really weak no matter what. So, you know, just, just have some humility. Um, and so I, I, don't, I don't want my clients thinking too much about that number. It's almost like a, the more you think about it, the less likely it's going to happen. You know, a watch pot never boils. The same thing. If you're always thinking about the PR, it's never going to come. So what can we do instead? We can focus on building movement efficiency, building consistency, raising our minimums each week, uh, dialing in positions, refining everything. So that's what I want people to get from that is if you want to improve your ceiling, you always want to work from the base up, keep building your base. And then one day it's going to click and then you're going to hit something that's great. And then you're going to be ready for that too. It's not going to be a fluke. It's going to be, this was the time for it, which is a, a whole nother rabbit hole of it's not about, can you do a PR once? It's about, can you do it every few months? Do you own the lift? There's a difference between owning it and just magically hitting it because you took C4, you got the girl you like watching, the whole gym's there, and you just sling it up because you're 24 and you got all this adrenaline and testosterone, you hit it, but your shoulder's wonky, you got one knee collapsed, and you're yelling, and then you never hit anything close to it the rest of your life. Like That's not, that's not a real PR. So. That's what I want people to take from that idea. Yeah, I think it's great. I think a lot of people, like you said, they tie value to the number and then they think that if the PR number increases, that means they're getting better at the movement, which I think if I'm hearing you correctly, that's not always the case. Just because your clean and jerk went from 185 to 195 doesn't necessarily mean you're getting better at the clean and jerk because that 185 could have been ugly and the 195 could have been uglier, but maybe you just, you know, you had a little bit more oomph in you that day. That doesn't mean we're getting better at the movement per se. Would you agree? Yes. And even one step deeper is you need to define what is improving me. Like what, why do you need to clean and jerk more? Like what do you, what, what value is inherent in that? That's why I'm so big on this consistency and patience piece because your fitness career is going to go into the wind one day. And what you're going to have is whatever you extracted from that, that journey. And if you are extracting consistency and patience 
and persistence, that's going to always provide value in your life, no matter where you go. And that was, again, back to my golf idea. When I'm going through it and then I'm finished my golf career, I'm not cognizant of, well, what value was there in spending 15 years of my life completely dedicated to something? Well, there was tremendous value if you're willing to find it, which was consistency and patience, long-term vision, showing up, um, humility in the, the time it's required. So when people come into the gym, your, your, your aim as a coach should be centered around, I want this person to really value and understand the patience and consistency that are required for this task, which is exercise and understand that this is something that you want to be doing for the rest of your life. And if people think about that for a moment, it's like, okay, that's, that makes me recognize that there needs to be, I need to slow this down a little bit. And even if I never clean jerk over 200 pounds, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Uh, but what matters is what you're extracting from that pursuit. And that's, what's going to last with you. I think also too, this, this rings a bell to me because recently at our gym, we went through a squat cycle and we just mm-hmm. um, tested our five rep max back squat. And it was, and I've seen this years and years and, and working with people. And this is what happened, Sam. They hit a max lift or a PR. And then right away they say, you know, let's say they hit 275. Like, man, I want, I want 300. <laughs> and, and, and here's the thing that I've really been gathering and thinking about is there's never a number where you get to it that I've noticed where people are like, Yes, I'm good. I'm walking away. I'm done. They always want more. So there's never going to be a moment where you do the 300 pound snatch and you walk away. You know, you're going to want 305 after that. So I think yep. that kind of creates a little bit of a picture of this is a this is a constant pursuit because although I know you really want that 300 pound snatch and it'll be awesome, I do know that once you put the bar down, you're going to be asking me when when can we go for 305? Right? It's a continuous process, and that nothing is not one lift is super gratifying for you to just walk away from. Understanding the value of contentment is, is something that's worth pondering for people more. Oliver Berkman wrote a book recently that came out, 4,000 Weeks, which is equivalent to like 80 years of life. It's good. It was a really good brain stretcher and it ties into that perfectly. It's the same thing with money. People say, oh, when I make a million dollars, I'll feel really good. Or when I make $5 million or when I make $1,000, whatever it might be, the number, the numbers for everyone always moving. It's never set. You know, Once my kids graduate, then I can relax. Once I retire, I can relax. Okay. <laughs> this was the best example he gave. He goes, when you're, you're, when you're an adolescent, your parents want you to have a great adolescence. You'll have a great teenage year. Or well, that's actually the same. Sorry, let me back up. Your parents want you to have a great childhood. That's going to allow you to have a great adolescence. A great adolescence is going to allow you to have a great college and 20s career. A great 20s is going to allow you to have a great 30s. And then your 30s is going to set you up for your 40s. And then your 40s is going to set you up really well for your 50s and 60s and 60s. And then you're dead. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> what was that for? You get to your last day, you're like, all right, now I can finally rest. And then the next day, you're done. So, when people are feeling that they're, they're trying to attach worth to something in the future, that's when you need to pause. And, okay, let me, let me just give myself some space to think about this, you know, because it, the number is always going to move. So your task is, can I find contentment mm. in where I'm at now 
and and really enjoy and and relish this because it might go away. I might never go above this. Uh, and so that's yeah, it's a, it's a deep thing to think about. But the book was great. He did a really great job of um, extra, uh, uh, extrapolating on that idea. So I think that's really great for the athletes. And then Sam, what would you say for the coaches who are hearing from an athlete saying, um, you, you know, I want a 225 pound snatch and they're hung up on that mm-hmm. number as a coach. If, if somebody's saying that to you in a consult, Sam, what kind of dialogue are you bringing back to them? Are you saying, man, let's get away from the number or do you like them chasing a specific number in, in some cases? So for the athlete, athlete implies that there's a, a test or requirement for a competition of some sort. There are numbers that are required to play in that game. Mm-hmm. And I like to use those objective numbers for athletes because it helps, it, it sobers us. Somebody like the kid I was talking about earlier who wants to win the game. So I'm like, okay, you need to snatch 300 pounds. You need to clean and jerk 375 pounds. You need a back squat 475. You need a front squat 425 deadlift 550. And there's these numbers you need to be able to do to be able to win. You know, you can just use Justin Medeiros or Matt Frazier's numbers. But there you go. That's what you need to do. Now, it won't be beneficial for him to just every day think, oh, I got to hit those numbers. I got to get them. I got to get right. them. Uh, no, it's going to take you five years to get close to those. Uh, so I like to set the stage. Well, this is where we need to get to. But this isn't what we're going to focus on right now. What we're going to focus on is we're going to build the base to support this, the, the challenge and loading and, and volume of work that's required that'll get you to the point where you might be able to express those numbers. So to use your example, this guy comes in and wants to snatch you 25. And let's say he does need to for whatever qualifier, qualifier or event he wants to do, but he snatches you know, 185 now. And like, okay, great. I love that we have a number. We have a target. That's awesome. But focusing on it's not going to help you get better or reach that. We got to think about what are the elements that go into you being capable of hitting a 225 snatch. And not remember, not just once. You got to do it every couple months. And you got to do it, you got to do it near perfect. You got to do it as well as you do 185 right now. So let's focus on XYZ and start to build that again, consistency and patience. And then, you know, in a year, now he's at this place where, all right, I hit this and it feels great. And now this is like 185. So that's how I'm trying to change the, the uh, f- uh, frame of reference for people uh, when they're thinking about numbers and a target. Um, with athletes, you can be a little bit more uh, objective because you need objective numbers. With people who aren't athletes, you can then be a little bit more, well, let's think about like what, what do you want to lift or what do you want to aim for? And um, so you can have more of an open conversation with, with non-athletes, which is fun and enjoyable. And some of them do have these objective goals. Like, well, I want to deadlift 405 pounds. Like, okay, that's great. We can make a plan towards that. It's awesome. And let's work towards it. That's the key. Let's work towards it. It's going to take time. It's going to take consistency. I like that. Let's cultivate that. That's going to add a lot of value in life for you in other areas. Um, let's see here. Next one is uncomfortable truth. Prescribing macros isn't hard. Getting clients to understand why macros won't solve their problem is hard. Oh yes, this is good. This one, this one got a lot of uh, traffic for me. I was, I was pumped. <laughs> so this one, this we could do a whole podcast on this one. <laughs> um, 
Well, the, well, the first question you want to ask yourself maybe is, do you want to track macros the rest of your life? And if you do, that's great. Uh, for those that want to have a, a normal life, you want to think about, well, what, what relationship do you want with food and how are you going to view food in your life with you and your family? What, is, what does that look like in an ideal state for you? And so my bias would be, I want people to have a great understanding of how food supports their body, supports their mind, supports their, their, their activities, and what eating to support all those things looks like. Because eating to support your body, your mind, your work is very different than not supporting that. Easy example. Does fast food support your body and your mind in your vocation? No, it doesn't. Especially if you max if especially if you do it over and over again or three, four times a week. If you're eating whole foods, organic, uh, you're making it, that's going to support what the goal is, which is your mind, your body, your work, etc. So I'm wanting so macros become a great tool that can be in the short term. To help people understand portion size, how do you create balanced meals? How do you mix and match combinations of foods? What are carbs, proteins, fats, micronutrients? Like th- there's there's value and utility in it. But helping people realize, especially even athletes too, that this is a this is a short term tool. That's not that's not your panacea for the rest of your life. You need to be capable to understand how to feed yourself without being handcuffed to my fitness pal or chronometer. Cause that's what it is. You're handcuffed to, I need to weigh and measure this. I need to eat at the same time. And now you don't understand hunger signals. You don't allow yourself the freedom to go get some ice cream with your, your child because they want to have some today, even though, you know, it's just a one-off, you don't do this all the time. So it just kind of speaks to, there needs to be a lot of communication with your client to understand that a relationship with food is important and, and there isn't a fix for it. It takes communication, it takes practice, it takes learning. And that's what's going to get you a place where you feel really confident with food and, and, and being in control of that. I mean, even a layer below, because I was just thinking about this, is you, of course, need to ask somebody, well, why do they think macros Right. is going to solve problems. And what are their problems? I mean, you, could, you can pull apart what I wrote many ways because some people think, well, I can only lose weight if I'm on macros. Like, oh, geez. All right. Well, now we got to talk about weight and how do you lose weight and why did you get to this weight in the first place? I mean, there's, there's so much there. So I think to keep it simple and not, again, go on a rant, it just speaks to you as a coach need to be mindful of giving the space to really communicate and talk with your clients about not only food, but your training, their relationships, work. The better you can understand somebody, the better they're going to open up and connect with you. And then you're going to provide lasting value to that person. And at bottom, what are you trying to do as a coach? You, you trying to impact their lives in a meaningful way, or are you just trying to get them in and get them sweating and get them out? I mean, that's, that's something you need to think about as well. We're getting close to time here, Sam. Do you have time for some more? What do you, what do you want? Oh, to yeah, yeah. I've, we're yeah, we're good. Okay, yeah. cool. I have, I'm in uh, no rush. 
Awesome. The, the one I heard or the word that comes out to me uh, on that one is autonomy. Like we talked about earlier, yep. you know, that short term to me being short term, being stuck to the, the app is, is mm-hmm. short term. And then being autonomous and being able like, like the example, go, can you go on vacation? Can you get away from your phone? Can you get out of your environment and yet and still prescribe to a healthy way of living? Mm-hmm. 100%. Cool. Um, let's see here. Next one. Quote, people who understand are drawn towards simple solutions. People who don't understand prefer mm. complicated solutions. This is, yeah, this is good. This is good because you see this everywhere in fitness. Everyone, not everyone, a lot of people want to make fitness very complex. Very complex. Why? Because it shows that they have a level of knowledge and understanding that you don't have. So now you need to use them as a resource. You're dependent on them. And now you're creating this, this, this gap between where you sit and where they sit. And they're always needing you because they don't understand it because it's too complex. So if you... <laughs> I got to pause for a second. That's, this, that, that's what I'm trying to get at with this idea of autonomy and building self-reliance in people. I don't I want people to learn through the time with me that I know how to write my training. I know how to take care of myself with food. I know how to sleep. I know how to wind down. I know how to balance work and rest. I understand these. I can take care of myself. Again, my my role as a coach is to give people tools to give themselves a fulfilling life to support what they're doing and what they find value in. It's not to fix them. Remember, that was like, I think the first one we talked about, it's I'm giving them tools, I'm giving them information, and I'm showing them that they can do it themselves. I'm not some Einstein that is on a different level. That's not me. I'm, I'm just as normal as the next guy. So that's what this is getting at is when you see people trying to lead with complexity, and trying to create a gap in your understanding, they're trying to sell you something. They're trying to show you that you're incompetent. And when you feel incompetent, you need to grab onto something because you don't. People, humans don't like to feel incompetent because there's a lack of security. There's a lack of uh, uh, there's a lack of uh, support in a sense. Or, or um, yeah, I think security is a good word. So just be weary when you see coaches or you see programs or you see courses that are trying to tell you that this is super complicated and you need X, Y, and Z. And that's, that's a red flag. It's a red flag. You want to find the people who can say it very simply, very clearly, and show you that there's no secrets. It's always going to come back to consistency and patience. Because if you use those, then you know that the progression you use are going to be very controlled and moderate because you got to allow the body time to adapt. And what's going to happen, you're going to build a lot of great training. People are going to adapt and, and get better, et cetera, et cetera. So be, be weary of complexity. There's, life is complex. The universe is complex. But fitness and exercise is not complex. And that's awesome. And I, but I think a lot of people are looking for complexity. Of course. And, because, that's, and that's difficult. Because they want somebody to have the answers for them. They don't want responsibility. They don't want to realize that they can do it. There's because they're afraid. They they need something tangible. They need to say, "Oh, coach has all these ideas. He's perfect. He's going to fix me." No, that's it's like a human nature thing because we're so resistant to struggle and challenge and uncertainty and 
it's, yeah, I mean, funny again, James and I were talking about this yesterday. We were talking about how I was talking to him about how some coaches I, I, I mentee and I speak with, you know, don't have a lot of clients. They struggle to find clients. And then I, I feel a sense of humility that I've been in a great position and, and I'm very thankful for where I'm at with my work and everything. And then I think, well, what if I was that coach? And, and then James made me pause and say, or think about, well, what about the sacrifices and struggles and work you had to do to get to where you are? Like, you can't downplay everything you did. Like, you were determined to succeed and grow in whatever was in front of you. And, and he was reminding me that it's always on you to determine where you're going to take things. Mm-hmm. If you want to be successful and however you're defining success, then you need to put in the work and go for it. It's no one else's job. And same with training and as a coach. The coach is just a, a, source of, uh, a, a source of information and knowledge. You, at the end of the day, are going to be the decider on whether or not you're reaching that goal or you're not going to reach that goal. And if you're trying to find a scapegoat, like a coach who's knowledgeable, has all these complex ideas, you're just going to weaken yourself and you're never going to reach that potential in that particular endeavor and also life because you're just going to bleed into life where you're always trying to find someone to take the burden from you. Mm-hmm. So that, uh, yeah, I, I would challenge people if that's how you feel or you think you, you feel that way where you're trying to search for something, you need to pause and you got to really ask yourself, am I taking full responsibility for the things I'm doing and can I do a better job and if, yeah, that's, I, I'd, I'd leave it there. <laughs> yeah. I love it. That's great. We got three more. Okay. Uh, this one says, quote, life rarely changes in a positive way without an increase in responsibility. <laughs> Jeez. These are all the same. That's this good. good I, think, I think that's a good yeah, thing. <laughs> it is. Why? Well, it just shows you there's so many ways to skin a cat, you know, I, <laughs> and it's good. Cause then it just, rem- it reminds me that this has been a big theme this past year for me is. And I, I have a lot of examples with clients and uh, some that parted ways and that there was so much learning for me around recognizing how important it is that I'm cultivating this autonomy and responsibility in each person I work with. Because I had people leave and we left in ways that I, I felt like I just sat and I thought, that's not the way this relationship is supposed to end. It was so sour that it made me really pause and say, what the hell is this about? Like, why, what am I trying to gain from this work that I'm doing? Like, if somebody leaves me, because everybody's going to leave, you're not, people aren't going to be with you forever. With coaching, there's, it's, there, it's impermanent. There's a, there's a lifespan with people. What do I want to feel and, and pass on to people when they do leave me? Because that's what's going to be the meaning I'm gaining from my work. And that's going to be very important. Your work is, you need to find something that has a lot of meaning. So that made me pause and go, okay, I did, I did something wrong from the start that led to this outcome. And a lot of it was I wasn't cultivating the responsibility in those individuals. And when the stress got elevated the highest, the truths were revealed mm-hmm. and the truths were not great truths. And so that was a good learning for me that you, you need to be, mindful of what you're cultivating in your clients because it's going to show itself one day 
And if you're not happy with what's, what it's showing, then you need to be working on that base and understanding of what am I trying to build in these people? So that was, uh, that was something that was great last year. And I think it really, that was kind of the thread line or the through line for the whole year was just this idea of how do I keep cultivating more responsibility and patience with people and getting them to really buy into that. And I say all that, and now I forgot what you, what the, the quote was. <laughs> but yeah, so the quote was, life really changes in a yes. positive way without an increase in responsibility. Yes, exactly. So that was, that was, the, that was the whole piece of it. Is I, I wanted, not that my life has increased, but my, my sense of value and, and purpose in my work has gone up more since then because I'm, I'm noticing the language and behaviors my clients are cultivating that are showing me that they are more responsible and they're taking ownership of this. And it makes me feel that I'm doing a, I'm doing a good job with the role I'm in. Mm. And I, I, would, I, would, um, I would say that they probably feel similar. Sim, I, can't, I tried saying that word yesterday. Oh my gosh. And it was, I, I couldn't say it. So I'm not even saying it. <laughs> we <laughs> all got go, you. <laughs> yeah. I got to practice on the side that they would say something similar that they're feeling possibly more empowered or uh, more capable than they might have otherwise thought because I'm, I'm, I'm challenging them to take on more. And if you can take on more, that's, that's the, the funny thing of life. If you take on a big burden and you show you can handle it, you usually get a bigger burden that comes. It's mm-hmm. always a test. Mm-hmm. Can you handle the burden in front of you, which as a side note, that's always a challenge in and of itself because usually the burden's really small at first mm-hmm. and some people think they're better than it. And then that doesn't work out well. So you always got to show whatever is on your plate, you can handle and finish before you're going to get more. So, you know, have the humility back to humility to recognize what's there and be okay with owning that before you move on to greener pastures. Second to last one. This one's interesting to me. It says, quote, you can't expect an athlete to peak or give maximal effort unless they are maximally motivated. What does that mean? Okay, yeah. So this one a little bit different, but similar theme. So another story. Just people love stories. There's one thing I've learned recently. It's great books. There's great mm-hmm. stories. Great mm-hmm. podcasts. There's great stories. Mm-hmm. So I try to use stories, trying to learn from people. So the first year I moved here to Arizona to work for OPEX, Tennille Reed was qualifying. She qualified for the games. And this was, this is her second game. She qualified in 2016 and she came in maybe like 15th or something like that. And she qualified this year. She won her regional. She beat Camille LeBlanc as an A, which was huge. And I moved to Scottsdale right when she was starting her games prep. And I did, I'd never been around any athlete at this level ever. And I got to watch everything she did. And be amazed at what she was doing, her ability to recover from it, her ability to push herself. Just, I was blown away at what she can do. And why I'm mentioning this is she was so motivated to succeed and, and try to win. She wanted to win the games. She even said it in an interview she did that that level of motivation was so maximal that she could, her body could give everything to it. And like, she was never in, well, she had one little hiccup, which is interesting. When she said in the interview, she wanted to win the games, the next day she heard her back 
and she had a back thing for like three days, four days where, oh no, my back, I don't know. I can't do Mm. this. I can't do that. And a lot of it was fear. Yeah. It was fear that she just said something that she might not be able to do. There was uncertainty. And what happens when we're uncertain, we try to revert back to something that's safe. What's safe? Well, I'm hurt. Now I have a reason why I can't achieve this. But what happened? She got out of that little groove or rut and she got back on track and started pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. She got to the game. She was in the lead for a few of the events and she ended up coming six. She was the fittest uh, female in the yeah, United the States that year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was 17. And so that was an amazing eye-opening experience for me about how important it is for an individual, an athlete, to be maximally motivated for a task in order for them to give maximal effort. She had everything aligned. She had her family supporting her. She had her coach. She had her training. She had her food, the whole gym, our whole company. Everything was behind her. And so she was able to give everything to the task. And so not that everyone can have the same circumstance, but what it speaks to is if you want to give full effort to whatever this is that you're chasing, you need to ensure that you are maximally motivated. Maximally motivated means all your energy, everything is pointed to the singular goal, your sleep, your, your relationships, your routine, your food, your recovery, your reflecting, everything needs to be pointed towards the goal. So that's the, if there was something to glean from that story is you need all cylinders firing towards the single goal to allow you to give everything that you actually have. Otherwise, you won't give everything. And they did some research on that. That was probably why I mentioned that. There was research around um, potential motivation and how your level of motivation will impact your exertion, ability to exert in the body. I, I'll have to, I'll, I'll find the paper and send it to you. Um, it's yeah, very that, fascinating. They did it with cyclists, I believe. Oh, that'd be awesome. Um, and yeah, it's interesting to me too, because sometimes it's the question I'm thinking of the coach who is reading this and they're going, well, I don't know if the athlete is maximally motivated. And the question might be, sometimes Sam, I lean on somebody, you know, somebody will come up to me and they'll say, Hey, I, I really want, I've said this on a couple of podcasts. I really want to get bar muscle-ups. And sometimes I respond with either why, or I'll respond with, okay, out of, out of a scale of one to 10, 10 being like, I really, really freaking want it. Like I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. One being like, yeah, I mean, if it happened, great, but I'm not going to do anything extra. Like, where do you lie in the spectrum? And that's really telling for me because if they come out with a nine, 10, then I'm like, all right, let's get the work. This is what we're going to do. But it's a reflection for them. And if they come back, you're like, you know what? Like, it's more like a three, four, like I would do maybe one session a week to work on it, but it just kind of gives this sort of like paints a picture for them to understand how important is it really to you. And I think that's kind of what I pull out about being maximum motivated. There's got to be some sort of like an internal reflection of how much does this really mean to me? Yes. Two things I'd add. One, on that scale, which I think is a great idea to get people to think, you could ask them, Instead of what number you at, what's the lowest number you're at? Oh, so say, say they say they're a five, and then you say, "Well, how do you get to a seven? How do you get to an eight? Because a how question creates critical thinking. Why question a lot opens the door for bias because you're going to reinforce what you're already believing and saying. So if you can get people to think about something from a how perspective, you can open them up to a bit more creativity and ideas that are that are. Uh, are, are maybe a bit more rational, less yeah. emotional. The second piece would be, which is something I, I try to live as closely to as I can, is always 
look at people's actions instead of their words. Your, your actions tell you everything. Words are always secondary. So when you, when you think about maximally motivated, watch their actions. How dialed are they? How consistent are they? Are they checking all the boxes? Are they taking responsibility for all these things? That's what's going to speak volumes to whether or not they are motivated and whether or not they have the capability to express everything that they have. So actions always trump words. Last one. And this is, this is just pure Sam Smith here. When I hear this, I just hear you saying this. The difference between mediocre and excellence lies in the small details. Compound interest applies in all areas of life. Can you talk about why you've uh, parlayed compound interest? Uh, a lot of people think about money, obviously, but yep. how, does that, how does that relate into as we kind of close down into the fitness space? Yeah. <clears throat> well, compound interest is this amazing law of nature that people are probably more aware of in finance that you put $100 in, you get interest off the $100, it goes up to $110, then you get interest off of $110, which goes up to $150, and you get interest off $150, et cetera, et cetera. And then the more you put in, it's an exponential curve. It just builds, which is why Warren Buffett, I use this as an example in that, that talk I gave in October, uh, as Warren Buffett being a prime example of somebody who leveraged compound interest with finance because he spent 80 years investing 80 years, like nonstop. Like, it's mind blowing 80 wow. years. Cause he's, I think he's 92 or so. I think he's starting. He's like 12 or 13. So maybe right around 80 years um, of just consistent investing and doing his craft. And so compound interest applies to anything, not just money. There's a, with training specifically, your, your aim, your aim is always to build consistency. It's a stack cycles of training upon itself week in, week out, week in, week out. And maybe you're, you know, you're a writer and every, every week your goal is to just stack consistent writing, consistent writing, et cetera, et cetera. You're always trying to build this consistency because what does that do is that drastically impacts the, the trajectory of where you're going to go over time. And so I think uh, James Clear, he had that graph of the uh, tiny gains, like mm -hmm. 1% better every day over 1% worse every day. It's like a 30% difference over a year. And so that's, that's something that I like people to really get connected to. Also, because the small things are more tangible. You can hold on to those. You can grab those. You can affect when you shut down electronics before bed. You can affect your cool down routine after training. You can affect what food choices you're going to make today. Mm. And so that gets people a lot more connected to this present moment and recognizing what's in my control and then building that consistency, which is then going to leverage the compounding effect so that in two years from now, you're in this drastically different place. I mean, I, I, it's funny. I was just thinking about this the other day. I was, I was looking at myself in the mirror and I was just thinking about, yeah, I know I'm, I'm pretty fit and I got, I got lean mass and you know, I'm in good shape. And, uh, and just thinking about some other people around my age who are not that. And I'm just thinking about, well, I spent, I've spent almost 15 years like exercising almost every single week, at least, at least four times a week, right. upwards of 12, 13 times, like consistently. And what has that led to? It's like led to this healthier body and this better understanding of, of exercise and what role it plays in my life, et cetera. And, and it's all, and it wasn't about me 15 years going, well, I'm going to, can't wait till I'm 31 and, you know, I'm going to be in a great shape. It's like, no, I just, I wanted to keep building and getting better. 
And I was focused on those small things that I could control, which is I'm going to get in, get my training, dial things in, this and that. So I think that's just a really uh, inspiring way for people to look at their life and the endeavors they have is what are the small things that mm-hmm. are going to compound to the big outcomes that you want or that you're aiming for? And then, and then continue to work on dialing those in and then allow time to take its course. Let, you know, leave that to time and just focus on those small little details and you'd be surprised at where you'll take things. A great place to end it, man. The, the four words that I, that I come back to that I think got brought up the most in this conversation is ownership, consistency, patience, humility. Nice. That I like, like that. Is that, is that those are good. Like, yeah. I think those are things yeah. that get, it's cool to see patterns. And I mean, we saw patterns in the year of your posting. We saw patterns in this conversation. I think there's a lot of value that can get drawn out from just patterns. So very cool. Yeah. Um, well, Sam, you're, you're a mentor of mine. Uh, you do mentorship programs. I think first I want to hear why is um, having a mentor so important? And then also how can somebody be a mentee of yours? How does that all work? Well, thank you. And, and thank you for Thank you for helping me reflect on the year and, and seeing these patterns. I mean, it's so helpful for me to, 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 to identify like, what, what am I, what am I speaking to? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's harder than it's, than it sounds like it's, totally. you don't know what you're, you're searching for or you're trying to, to communicate to people. Um, so that's, I really appreciate that. The, the mentorship. So this started uh, May last year, 2021. And this has been an amazing, fantastic service that we've been offering at OPEX. It's through OPEX. It's labeled as remote coaching mentorship, but as you've experienced, it's, it's, it can be very uh, general to any coach. And what I'm trying to do there is I'm trying to provide tools for coaches to, to deepen their understanding of their practice, and their practice being their coaching practice. I'm trying to provide the the insights I've gained in my in my work thus far to help empower and 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 allow you all to think a little differently about what you're doing and to challenge some of the things that or beliefs you might have with your work. And it's been very fulfilling. I've 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 been I've learned so much thus far and and I'm just uh I'm humbled that coaches are are signing up and doing this with me and um and I just love it. I think it's a great way for me to use some of the gifts I've been given and, and to share the, the learnings I've had that coaches can then utilize to their benefit. And so if somebody wanted to do that, it's a 12-week program and there's 30-minute uh, calls each week. There's a lot of homework that you have to do each week to really create it. I want it to be a very uh, intense and uh, meaningful uh, experience for coaches. So you can you can send me an email, Sam at crafted.coach, or on my Instagram, there's a link and you can click the link and you can click uh, the link for the coaching mentorship and you can sign up there. Um, or if you have any questions about it, you can always send me an email or a direct message on Instagram, which is at coach Sam Smith. Um, yep. So those would be the the avenues for it. Cool, man. I just want to say thanks again, man. Just want to show my gratitude for you and everything that you've taught me. Uh, you're somebody that I really look up to in the space. So I'll just thank you for everything you've taught me. Thanks for coming on the show for a third time. I uh, just appreciate you. Thank you.
Awesome, man. Uh, if you guys enjoyed the show, share it on your Instagram, tag Samurai. If you have questions, if you want to get coached by him or, or be a, a mentee, then reach out. Uh, we'd love to hear what you got out of the show as well. And we'll see you guys next week for another episode on the My Fit Podcast. Take care.